Hello, and welcome to the Cycling Central Tour de France podcast. I'm Philip Gomes, and with me are Kevin Eddy, Anthony Tan, Jamie Finch-Penninger. Today, we'll do a quick wrap of Stage 16 and look ahead to Stage 17, which promises to be very interesting coming after a rest day. In fact, uh, the next four stages are going to be very interesting. As most of you know, green jersey holder Peter Sagan, uh, riding for Tinkoff, picked up his third stage win at the 2016 Tour. After burning, see what I did there, Alexander Kristoff of Katusha by a few centimeters in the bike throw at the finish line. This was on stage 16. It was a bit of a classic style finish, had a bit of a cobbled hill, which uh, perfectly served the ambitions of the world champion. And to be quite honest, Kristoff as well. So kind of stage he, he should have won. Uh, with Mark Cavendish today announcing his departure from the tour, barring any incidents, Sagan will remain unchallenged for the green jersey through to Paris. So that's pretty much done and dusted. Uh, the other notable event on stage 16 was the breakaway heroics of Ethics Quick Steps Tony Martin and Julian Alaphilippe, which, while entertaining in its audacity, amounted to pretty much nothing in the end. But it did save the stage for many and gave us all some very nice talking points after the race. Gentlemen, your points on stage 16 before we move on to stage 17. Kevin, you go first. Well, for me, it was all about Tony Martin and uh, Alaphilippe desperately trying to hold on to his wheel for most of the stage. Why Why would you, if I were Julian Alaphilippe, which I'm not, but if I were, I'd probably be in the World Tour, wouldn't I? No, but if I, if I were him, I don't know, after doing what he did the previous day, where I, I thought it, actually he crashed, but he, in fact he had a mechanical... Uh, he was in, you know, he was in the break all day on a very difficult stage of the tour. Why would you go in a break with the Panzerwagen? <laughs> Stupid. Yeah, uh, you called it heroics at the start of the day, uh, at the start of the podcast, rather. And there's two sides of heroism: being really brave and really dumb. And I don't know why they thought that a two-man breakaway was ever going to succeed from one team, because. They're not going to get any help from anyone else, and all those other teams that are not in the break are going to be chasing them down. So that break was absolutely doomed to failure from the start. It did it did quicken up the stage, which was uh, which was nice, but I'm I'm not sure that it was ever going to win. But it, was was it about winning? Well, they, that, was that was a stage where the breakaway could have won. I mean, going into the stage, it was about fifty fifty whether the break could have won. So I think I think you need to you know play the odds a bit better. They didn't let anyone get across to them, and. They pay the price at the end, I think. So. I, I just found it amazing just watching one of the most talented riders in the world today, which is Alaphilippe, just hang on for grim death, you know, to, to Martin. And, and I don't know, for some reason, I had this, this image in my mind when I was watching it of, of Alaphilippe just going, slow down, Tony, slow mm. down, Tony. Yeah, I mean, for me, Jamie said it, they should have waited. There was a break of four behind them. You know, they even if they, they let them bridge up, they would have had the numbers just like, you know, OG had the numbers that day. They had three in the break. I, I just don't know why you wouldn't have. I mean, Alaphilippe was so dead after that day. It was, it was obvious. And um, the, uh, for me, it's also the difference between the smarts of someone like uh, Steve Cummings versus... Uh, Tony Martin. Tony Martin just uses power. He Cummings really thinks about what stage will suit him. Like Tony Martin goes, well, maybe this is pretty much the last effort. But you're, if you remember the stage he won of the Tour de uh, France, I, I think it was um, quite difficult actually. So I, I think um, 
for for me, yeah, he, he lacks a bit of race now, Tony Martin. Just a blunt, it's, a blunt instrument. It's just the 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 time trialer in him. Well, it wasn't that more or less what it was, which was just an extended training ride for the Rio time trial. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anyway, it did give us a lot to talk about afterwards and, and some pretty amusing um, pretty amusing comments on Twitter. Uh, we got anything else to say about Sagan that hasn't already been said? Uh, is there any other ways that he can win a bike race? Maybe parachuting down to the finish line? Maybe rappelling on a, I don't know, one of those what it, f- f- flying foxes? or What, what more can he do? Um, well, we haven't seen him weave his way through the peloton from about 10th position to win like he did in the Tour of California, so maybe that's still in the... On the cards for the Champs Elysees, maybe a mountain top finish. Who knows? Yeah, I, I think uh, Sagan, like Cavendish showed, you you need to you, you need to be good at your bike throw, and hmm. Christoph clearly was. And he said that he timed it poorly, but I think that's just part of the innate um, trait of a traits of a, a top sprinter like Cavendish or Sagan. They they just know when to throw their bike, and Christoph clearly didn't. If, if he did, he would have won the stage. Also, Sagan is, is a rider, obviously, who has a tremendous skill set, so it's the kind of thing where you would expect would come pretty naturally to him, wouldn't it? Well, he seems to be able to turn his hand to pretty much anything he wants to do. So, uh, so yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's, the, he's the most awesome man in cycling right now, isn't he? Could have probably bunny-hopped his way to the finish as well. Yeah, well, just one point on the Christoph throw. He actually had, if you go back and look at the footage, he actually had his head down because he was just absolutely trying to put as much um, effort through the pedals as possible. And then when he looked up, he's like, oh, God, the line's right there and threw a bit late, um, as you can see on the footage. Uh, I I just think that was a product of the very hard finish to the stage and he was just trying to get everything out of his bike. Yeah, he did say that, Phil, yeah, he said he was seeing stars, but this is the moment, you know, when, when you're at your limit that perhaps you need the most lucidity. And you, you see that with Cavendish. I mean, he's, he's clearly trained his body and mind to be able to think as clearly as he can when, when he's at the limit. Um, for the GC guys, Stage 16 didn't do very much except uh, put them all in a hurt box, basically, as they all tried to chase down, uh, chase down Martin. Um, any and and of course you've got a rest day today, so there shouldn't be any after effects for those guys uh, leading into stage seventeen. Well, only the rest of the tour. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, there's going to be some very tired legs out there, and it'll be interesting to see how they go when it's consecutive mountain stages over and over and over again. So, yeah. the, the rest day, um, the rest day seemed to be, be a pretty quiet one this year. It's uh, I think the sec- this year we we didn't seem to have as many in, many interviews or as much activity uh, going on. Um, maybe the teams just wound it back based on, on what's coming up in the final week? Mm. I think the, the media are also tired. I noticed quite a few <laughs> of them were looking forward to the rest day and, and not going to the press conferences. I mean, you're just going to get the same stuff. I mean, Froome actually said a lot the previous stage. I mean, I'm looking forward to the mountains. I've never been in this position um, before going into the final, you know, from on that second rest day with all nine men. He's feeling very confident. The other guys are saying, well, we, you know, like Quintana, well, the moment hasn't come for me to attack yet. I mean, they're all trolling out the same lines as you would expect. Really, I think I just want to see the racing. 
happen. Yeah. Um, well, just to just we might as well transition to uh, to what's coming up tonight, uh, which is uh, stage 17 from uh, Bern to Fino in Monson. And uh, we're talking about 184.5 kilometers, 6,532 meters of climbing, four climbs, uh, one sprint. Um, what are we expecting from this? I mean, there's a tremendous amount of pressure on Movistar, uh, I would say, and, and, and to a lesser extent on BMC. Uh, your obs- observations on that, uh, Kev? I have literally no idea what's going to happen tonight. Hmm. It's, it's, I mean, there's one scenario where Sky can do what they've been doing, what they're, what they're famous for doing, and they just ride tempo and they don't let any attacks go away and they just basically pull Froome up to the final climb where he, where he goes away. Or there are scenarios where we see Movistar attacking. There are scenarios where we see Astana attacking. There's scenarios where we could potentially see BMC attacking. There's so much that could potentially play out. I've got literally no idea what could happen. Well, I think, I mean, this stage, the way it looks is uh, is is pretty well good for a tempo-type riding because it's it's a gradual thing to an HC finish. Yeah, I, I would say, I mean, it's, it comes back to why aren't these guys attacking? And for me, there's... A couple of reasons. It's one, Sky are just so strong. Uh, even Quintana said the pace that Poles was setting on that last mountain stage was just so high that he couldn't attack. And then same with uh, Von Tu as well. I mean, if you look at the previous mountaintop finishes, we had one in Arcalus and then another one in Von Tu. There really wasn't that much happen. Okay, there was that drama in the final kilometre, but how much time realistically, if, if that whole running man incident hadn't taken place, how much time would have they got? M- maybe half a minute or something like that. So really, the time has been won by Froome in the time trial. But if I just look at the GC feel, you've got, uh, you know, two guys from Star fourth and fifth in Quintana and Valverde. Then you've got Port and Van Garderen in seventh and eighth. So clearly for me, that says, well, an alliance should form. But that's easier said than done because of the strength of Sky. I mean, this is why they, they do need to attack from a long way out. But then that leads to my second point. The reason why they're not doing it is because a lot of these guys haven't signed their contracts yet for next year. And so if you think about it, do you want to risk, you know, um, falling out of the top five and blowing yourself up completely? And then Van Garen had... You know, he pulled out a couple of days before the finish when he was third overall. So, you know, how much is he going to risk? I, I'm just... You know, Molimar, he was he's just preserving his position. He's never been in this position before. And then Daniel Martin, a guy you expect to attack, you know, the best place he's finished in the Tour de France before was 33rd So, and he's ninth. So how much do you expect from these guys? Yeah, I think... I think the parkour on this stage is going to come into play as well. Those the two really tough climbs coming at the finish, and it's going to be it's going to be a massive risk to attack before then. I think um, maybe maybe if you can maybe if you've got the luxury of two people like um, Movistar and BMC do, maybe you put uh, TJ and Valverde up in the break there and hope that you know you can waste some of Sky's bickies before that those final two climbs, and then which then gives your main guys a chance to go for it. But it's yeah, it's a big risk just to you know just to waste my energy from Sky. I think. There. Um, are you looking for uh, some sort of a harebrained, crazy, crazy mad kind of scheme happening tonight, Kevin? I don't think the crazy harebrained mad scheme tonight is gonna hap- is gonna happen tonight. Um, 
having said that, I don't have literally no idea what's going to happen. Um, Are you I, hoping for one? <laughs> I'm always hoping for a crazy harebrained mad scheme. Um, I think actually a stage for a crazy harebrained mad scheme is probably Friday's stage. I think we've got more hope for a crazy, crazy, or I should say crazy harebrained mad scheme from you, Phil. Um, <laughs> but, I, you know, the... This climb has never been used before, the Tour de France. It's the last time. It's been used at the Tour de l'Avenir uh, before and then most recently at the 2014 Dauphiné where Contador actually overtook. There was a breakaway with Louis Wester won, but uh, Contador overtook Froome. But then they were marking each other so heavily the whole week that this, you know, that this punk... American by the name of Andrew Talansky, you know, got in the break the following day and he and he won the Dauphiné. So, but the precedent suggests that there's not going to be a lot of time differences on this climb, even though the four class and then the Finhal Emerson climbs together are, are very difficult. And and uh, realistically, we're looking at 30 kilometers worth, you know, so climb, descent, climb again. Uh, so I guess it's ample ample opportunity for, for Sky to to be pretty watchful, be a bit of a policeman. Well, I know it's really really hard. Though. I mean, they're twelve k's at about eight percent odd. Who yeah. who does this climb suit the most? Do we think Team Sky? It suits Team Sky riding tempo. This is you know Quintana. This is not the Giro d'Italia. I mean, there's no climbs. I, in any of these stages over 2,000 metres, it's not like the Giro where we saw, you know, guys like, um, you know, a couple of guys falter because of the altitude uh, because, you know, they're all around 1,500, 1,600 metres. So if Quintana's waiting for the climbs to go over 2,000 metres, he might have to wait till the Giro next year. <laughs> That's right. Um any hope for uh, the climbing jersey? Uh, I guess that's going to be a point of interest tonight as well, is uh, watching um, Raphael Micah and Thomas de Ghent uh, in their little little tussle. Um, we got any favorites there? I mean, de Ghent's had a bit of a rest day to recover from from the uh, change, of, change of hands to Micah uh, prior to that. I mean, do we think anything's going to happen there? I mean, it could. The, the question is whether the break makes it to the finish there, because that's where the big points are on offer. I think there's no particular need from the GC teams to ch- chase it down, especially at the start, which is nice and flat. So I think we will see a break go quite a long way up the road um, to take the points there. So, you know, Micah and DeGent will have to make sure that they're in that move, otherwise they're going to miss out badly, I think. Yeah, Phil, he's 37 points ahead. Sorry, I should say Micah is 37 points ahead of DeGent. At the moment, I mean, the next closest is N- Daniel Navarro with 69 points, and then it's 90 with De Hens, and then 127 to Micah. So Micah on paper is the, the best climber out of those. So I think, you know, again, really needs to go, you know, he needs to risk a lot, actually, to, to win this jersey. Otherwise, Micah will just not walk home with it, but he'll climb home with it. Um, rest days or mountain stages after rest days are well known for uh, throwing up a few surprises. Uh, one can only hope that uh, that we're going to see a few of those. Some guys tend to tend to wake up on the uh, on the mountain stage afterwards with uh, with legs that are a little bit tighter than they should be, despite the the kind of work that they do to try and keep themselves moving on the rest days. Um, not Chris Froome though. Not Chris Froome. It's been been proven time and time again that he. He just doesn't have those the same level of bad days as the other contenders do. So as, as much as we might hope for the, the classification to get a bit tighter, um, 
it's going to have to take some attacking riding, I think. Yeah, and then you've also, this is, I mean, we've also got another precedent being set earlier on in the tour when we had a, um, a mountaintop finish followed by a time trial. So there was Von 2 and then the time trial. So I think the performances will be tempered quite a great deal because we saw that many more seconds, if not minutes, can be lost in a, a time trial uh, than a, a mountain stage. Uh, any last words on this, uh, Kev? Um, I no. think it'll be interesting to see what happens with Mollimer and Yates tonight. Um, I mean, they're the probably the couple of riders who are least proven over a three-week race at the moment, Yates especially. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see how they pull up tonight. I mean, Mollimer is looking in pretty decent form, so I would expect him to continue like that. But I think there's definitely a question mark over Yates. He was talking down his... Uh, his chances over the rest day. He was saying basically everything from here's a bonus. So um, whether that's just him uh, downplaying his chances to uh, put people off or whether he's actually just not sure what's going to happen, then uh, we don't know. But, um, yeah, he'll be an interesting one to watch. Jamie? Yeah, I don't know if there's too much that we can add to what Kev said there. Um, Mollimer has been very good, I'd say, in the past. He's been top ten last three tours. Um, So he's got the experience of hanging in there. And it's his best ever form this year. So I, I tend to believe that he can he can continue for a podium spot in Paris. Any last words from you before we close off? I, I'd like to see Bardet and Port, you know, around four minutes behind for him at this point, go large. Because for me, Mollema and Yates will ride conservatively. They've never been in this position before. Yates is trying to conserve his uh, Mayor Blanc with the white jersey. These guys, Port and Bardet, look, Bardet's only 25 years old. Just throw the kitchen sink at for him and see what happens. Okay, well, on that note, um, we'll, uh, we'll close this down. Uh, just a reminder that uh, tonight from 10 p.m. on SBS is Stage 17. And, of course, we'll be streaming online via the Skoda Tour Tracker suite of applications, web and mobile. So we'll see you next time.